Welcome to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast, where we take a deep dive into the latest marketing trends, tools, and tips, and provide you with the top resources you need to thrive and make your marketing mesmerizing. And now, here's your host, Dimple Dang. So, hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about how content creators and podcasters can grow their brand and also legally protect their brand. And I'm super excited to have Dave Brothman with me in the house today, and Dave is an amazing attorney out of Los Angeles. He practices trademark law, copyright law, IP law, and entertainment law. And I'm going to let him introduce. Oh, thank you, Dimple. That's terrific. I appreciate that. So great to see you again this evening and welcome to everybody in the room. And yes, I'm actually, I'm close to Los Angeles. I'm in San Diego, but it's all Southern California. And yep, I've been doing practicing trademark, copyright, and entertain and IP and entertainment law for more decades than I care to admit. And for all kinds of businesses, including speakers, trainers, writers, clothing companies, aftermarket auto companies, cannabis companies. But you know, for purposes of what we're really focused on tonight, we're gonna we're gonna focus on people like the people in the audience, hopefully, who are creating content, whether it's writings, YouTube videos, manuals, guides, television programs, webcasts, uh, podcasts, whatever, and, and then building brands around that content. And that I've been doing that kind of work for quite a long time, and it's really fun, and it's still fun, particularly because it's always changing. It's never staying the same. So I could talk about it, my background forever, but I don't want to. I don't want to bloviate too much, too soon. So thanks, Dimple, for the for the introduction and giving me the opportunity to kind of briefly summarize where I'm at. Yeah, that's perfect, Dave. Thank you so much for sharing that. And and then basically what we're going to do is we're going to talk about, I'm going to start out by talking about growing your personal brand, because I think it's important, like when you have a brand, how do you grow your brand? And when you grow your personal brand, what happens is you end up growing your business brand. And one of the most important things that you can do and in 2021 is to really put an effort into building a personal brand. Maybe a few years ago, it was something that it wasn't that important, but now building a personal brand is so important. And this is what I always say about building a personal brand. It's like having an insurance policy, just like you would buy insurance, right? For your car or you'd buy health insurance. Well, you also, it's like insurance because building a personal brand brings opportunities it brings business. It brings collaborations. And that is why it is so important to, to do that. But it's also important to protect the brand that you're building because if you're not careful, what can happen is your brand can be taken away from you. And imagine if you put hours into building a brand or you have a podcast and you put hours into recording episodes and getting it out there. But because you failed 
to to get it trademarked or you failed to even do the research before you started your brand to see if the brand that you're starting, there's already another brand out there that belongs to someone else, right? So that's really, really important to think about. And one of the ways that you can do that, so I'm going to walk you guys through that process, is that you go to Google and whatever brand name that you're thinking of, of utilizing, you want to type that into Google and you want to see what comes up. You want to see what comes up in the search results. You want to click on the images tab and you want to see what comes up. And then you also want to go to social media platforms like Facebook. You want to type that in. You want to see, is there a Facebook business page with the same name? Is there a name with a similar name? How long has that page been there? Is it active? And you want to do the same for Instagram and you want to do the same for LinkedIn. Because, and then if you don't see anyone utilizing your brand, then what you can do as far as the next step is you can say, okay, this is a brand name that I want to use for my business. And I actually want to make sure that no one else takes it because it's original and you came up with some idea yourself that you feel is unique. You don't want someone to take it. So I'm going to throw a question out here to Dave on that. So Dave, if somebody builds, if someone's building a personal brand, right, they've gone through the steps of doing their research online, they determine, okay, the URL is available. No one is really using this right now. And what are some next steps they can take? For example, going to the trademark website. Talk us a little bit about that. Talk to us a little bit more about that process. Sure, that's great. And that's a great intro, Dimple, to the first couple of steps. And you're right, doing the Google, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook research is a great beginning because what you can do, uh, if you do that yourself, DIY, do it yourself, is you, you can identify if there are any dead-on conflicts that are really going to stop you in the water before you go forward. And before you go out and hire a search company or a lawyer to do a professional search, a more professional search. And that would be the next step after you, if you do, after you do the DIY. You can go yourself, you can go to the patent, U.S. Patent and Trademark Office website at USPTO.gov, that's USPTO.gov, and do your own trademark search to see whether there are any pending U.S. trademark applications or any existing trademark registrations that might conflict with yours, with your proposed brand. But I would say that's a little dicey. And the reason it's a little dicey to do that part yourself is because the, the website is deceptively easy to use and it's easy to make mistakes because most people, what I call most civilians, meaning non-trademark lawyers, think that normally and naturally. They think that if they do a trademark search and they don't see anything that's identical, if they don't see a trademark that's identical to their trademark, or they see a trademark that's identical to their trademark, but it's for something that's slightly different than what they intend to use, they naturally think they're in the clear. And that's a natural human response, but it's incorrect legally. 
because the legal standard is not whether somebody else's trademark is identical to yours. It's whether it's close enough that the public might be legally confused or might be might be considered confusingly similar. So that's why I go back to many of you in the room or some of you in the room may remember Coming to America, the Eddie Murphy Arsenio Hall movie, where when Eddie Murphy's character and Arsenio Hall's character come to the United States and they get a job, they get a job working for a local fast food hamburger joint called McDowell's. And when somebody says to the owner of McDowell's, hey, haven't you, aren't you in trouble with McDonald's? He says, no, 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 we're McDowell's, we're not McDonald's. Well, that works well for the movies, but it doesn't work well in real life. And what I've observed over the years is that when people do their own trademark searches, they see what they want to see and they hear what they want to hear and they have blinders on. And understandably, they haven't gone to law school or they haven't attended training sessions before and they don't necessarily understand what the rules of the road are for uh, trademark infringement. So I think this is one situation where, although there's a lot of stuff you can do in the legal world yourself, like the preliminary search we talked, you talked about earlier, Dimple, I think when it comes time to really investing and making sure that the brand you want to build is clear and available, that's a really good time to sit down and, and sit down with a trademark lawyer and really have a professional do the search and give you a legal opinion you can rely on. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of people like me, lawyers like me around the country who do this kind of work. You can find somebody in your neck of the woods who has the background and experience, not a regular business lawyer, not a divorce lawyer, not a criminal defense lawyer. You really want a, somebody who's experienced in trademark. And, and that's, I think, the next logical step. So thank you, Dimple, for asking that question. Yeah, I think that's important. I think I think at least if you can get to that point, you can go to the website, you can do that research, at least you'll have some idea. Is this even an idea that you should pursue? Because if it's already taken, then you have to go to plan B and you have to come up with another idea. So never be too married to an idea without knowing if it's fully available because you don't want to be disappointed later. So always have a couple of ideas that you can think of like for, you know, for name, for how to name your brand. And now I want to talk a little bit about in terms of growing your brand. One of the ways to grow your brand is one of the best ways like like nowadays is through a podcast. Because when you have a podcast, you're able to take your message, you're able to take your expertise and you're able to share it with the entire world. You know, a podcast is worldwide. And if you think about what I'm doing right now, I have a podcast. It's called Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. And I'm recording this clubhouse room right now. And this is going to be one of the episodes on my podcast. So if you think about some of you that have been on Clubhouse for a while, if you think about all of the time that you spend on Clubhouse, imagine if you had a podcast. And imagine if you were doing what I'm doing right now. And you could have so much content created that if you're going to go into clubhouse rooms anyway and share your expertise, why not take it one step further and launch a podcast and share it with the rest of the world, right? Because of podcasts, you can reach people all over the world. It's really powerful. And the other thing about having a podcast is if you are strategic in how you name 
your episodes for search engine optimization purposes, you can end up getting yourself to rank on page one of Google for keywords that you want that other people are paying thousands of dollars a month for on Google ads, like in the sponsored section, they're paying money to show there and you can show up organically. Cause now like with podcasts, if you guys remember how YouTube used to show like video search results on page one, it was like a separate section. Well, guess what? Google is now doing that for podcasts, which is huge. And all that somebody has to do is click on it and then they can listen to your episode right then and there. And I don't know if you guys knew this, but this is also interesting is that Facebook is launching their own like podcast player within Facebook. And when that happens, that's going to be huge too. So launching a podcast is great to build your personal brand. The other thing that's really great for building your personal brand is to do clubhouse rooms. So if you've never done a room before, I encourage you to do clubhouse room. I encourage you to start your own club. And it doesn't matter in the beginning if you have one person in your room or if you have two people in your room, because that's like everyone started from zero. Like, don't compare yourself with all the large rooms and what other people are doing. The people that are doing that, they started months ago and they started in the very beginning, like back in November, December, a year ago when things were really, really busy on the app. And right now, I think the only reason that they're not that busy is because people are still on summer vacation, their kids have started going back to school, and now they're maybe done traveling from outside the country. But I promise you, like in October, November, December, Clubhouse is going to blow up. Oh, we have my friend Mark with Pop Brothers at Law that just came in. I don't know if he's able to say hello, but I'm going to moderate him regardless to hang out here. And the reason is because Dave Brofman is Mark's lawyer with Pop Brothers at Law, and he's done an amazing job for him. So, Mark, we are recording this. You're going to get to be on my podcast one more time. For those of you guys who don't know who Mark is, he is an attorney, a cannabis attorney and criminal attorney out of Los Angeles, and he has built up a successful following of over a million followers collectively on social media. So you definitely want to be following him and also make sure you follow me and hit the bell and do the same for Dave and for Mark with pop brothers at law. So you guys can check out that episode on my podcast, which is called mesmerizing marketing. The link is in my Instagram bio, but Mark, if you're able to say hello, we would love to hear you. So, okay. He can't talk right now, but you know what? I want to have Dave talk a little bit about how he has helped Mark with his brand that has become mega successful. So Dave, do you want to share that? Sure, Dimple. Right. Mark just uh, texted me. He's a little tied up right now, but I think he's going to join us shortly. So Mark and his brother Craig are criminal defense lawyers in Orange County, just south of Los Angeles between LA and San Diego. And, And we met several years ago and they are really prime examples of how clients typically come to us and work with us. We met through a mutual friend. We had had a cocktail, had dinner, and Mark, this was about five years ago, Mark was telling me about how he and his brother were really developing a social media presence beyond just being average lawyers, doing what average lawyer or doing what most lawyers to do, maybe take out a yellow page ad or a billboard ad, but they were really developing a social media presence 
and they were developing a lot of content, and they had developed a couple of brands, including Pop Brothers at Law, which is the, the kind of the umbrella rubric for their law firm, because they're brothers, and they really they specialize in criminal defense work for those who've uh, gotten in trouble due to cannabis. And Mark basically said, what do we do? How do I, know, I know there's this thing out there called intellectual property, but what is it, and what do we do? And, and that's very typical of, of how I first meet people and engage with them. They come to me. I've been asked essentially the same question for 40 years, which is, hey, Dave, I've got this new fill in the blank. I got this new idea. I got this new invention. I have this new thing I've written. I have this new brand. I have this new trade. How do I protect it? That's essentially the, the single question I've been asked most often in 40 years. And, and that was what Mark and his brother Craig were asking. And we sat down and we identified what they had, what trademarks, what brand names, what brand identifiers they had already created, what content they had already created in terms of podcasts, written materials, handbooks, guidebooks, information on their website, YouTube videos, that's all content, all protected by copyright law. C for content, C for copyright, think of it that way. We identified what trademarks and brand names they had already developed, what content they had already developed, and then we talked about what trademarks and brand names and what content they thought or envisioned they were gonna develop new in the next year or two we made a list and then we identified which of the 10 items on the list were the most important and we prioritized them and one by one by one by one we started going down and we started filing trademark and copyright applications and now over a period of a couple of years they've they've acquired they've assembled quite a nice portfolio of trademark and copyright registrations which are valuable assets and we did it in a logical sequence one by one by one we've gotten pop brothers at law registered as a trademark we've gotten quite a bit of their content that they've written registered with the copyright office including a jingle that they use for their website including uh, several other written materials that they've written and then Along the way, a couple of years ago, they developed a kind of a, a, a slogan and a marketing tool to help people really understand what their legal rights are very succinctly. And it's a way of understanding what to do. It's a guidance mechanism. It's a three or four step guidance mechanism for what to do if you encounter law enforcement, like if you get pulled over by law enforcement and they start asking you questions. And Mark and Craig developed a scenario, a protocol, a script, if you will. We registered the copyright in that. And the way it works is they walk you through a couple of steps on what to say and what not to say. And then there comes a point in time where what you're supposed to do is assert your constitutional rights under the Fifth Amendment and not say anything further so that you don't give law enforcement any evidence that they can use against you in a court of law. And the way Mark and Craig decided to symbolize and crystallize that advice was when it comes time to assert your First Amendment rights, forgive me for anybody in the room who finds this offensive, but 
It is now a legally registered trademark, so I, and the Supreme Courts of the United States said it's okay. The way they symbolize and crystallize all that advice is when it comes time to assert your First Amendment rights, you shut the fuck up. And we were able to get that registered as a federally registered trademark with the United States Patent and Trademark Office for legal services. And it's one of the crowning achievements of my legal career because it was a tough battle to get it registered. I can imagine that, you know, getting something trademarked that may seem offensive to certain people like that that may seem a little bit difficult right like how do you get something trademarked that basically says shut the fuck up right and what were some of the obstacles that you had when you were trying to get that trademarked and how did you overcome those obstacles great question thank you dimple and by the way you are right from uh, on something you said earlier and i'll come back to the pop brothers at law in a sec about mesmerizing marketing your brand terrific name terrific trademark and like other uh, podcasters, you've developed something that really symbolizes and, and separates your content from everybody else's, and that's what a great brand does. So kudos to you for that. Now, as for how we got Shut the Fuck Up registered, it was a two-step process. The first step was that we filed the trademark application, and initially it was put in suspension, in limbo, by the trademark office because under normal circumstances about up until about four years ago, let's say approximately, the trademark office would have rejected that trademark application for shut the fuck up for legal services outright because under the then existing law, the trademark office took the position that it was not allowed to register a, a trademark for anything that was considered scandalous or salacious. And basically, anything that contained George Carlin's seven dirty words, if you're familiar with George Carlin, the comedian, may he rest in peace, anything that contained the seven dirty words or anything similar to that was considered salacious and scandalous and therefore unregisterable. But by the time we've, at the time we filed the trademark application for shut the STFU, I'll call it STFU. So I don't keep saying shut the fuck up if it bothers anybody. <laughs> Dave, are you a little like are you a little shy to say it out loud? I'm not. But yeah, hey, I'm from New York. I'll say anything to anybody, but I don't know everybody in the room and I, I don't want to freak anybody out. But so when we filed the, the trademark application for STFU, shut the fuck up, there was pending before the United States Supreme Court a case. Uh, brought by a clothing company that was trying to register the trademark F-U-C-H-T, pronounced fucked for clothing. And the, the trademark office rejected it because of the no salacious or scandalous trademarks rule. And the owner of the fucked trademark for clothing was represented by, I forget who, but he, I think the ACLU or maybe the Freedom, I forget which entity exactly took their case and took it up to the Supreme Court and argued that the that the trademark office did not have the subjective right to apply its subjective determination and opinions as to what isn't salacious and scandalous. So that case was pending. Side note, I would have paid at least $1,000 to be able to be a fly on the wall in chambers at the Supreme Court when the nine Supreme Court justices were talking about whether or not fuck should be registered as a trademark. But that's just me, I guess, because I'm a trademark nerd. Sorry. But for purposes, our purposes, because that case was pending, the Patent and Trademark Office put uh, Mark and Craig's application for Shut the Fuck Up in limbo. 
until that case was decided. So we sat there, sat there, sat there. But the good news was we had a pending trademark application so that if anybody else filed a trademark application for the same or similar trademark, it would be rejected because of our trademark application. So it was good for us to be in line first. And we waited and waited and waited until the Supreme Court decided that the fucked case for clothing and the Supreme Court decided that that the trademark office did not have the right to apply its subjective determination and opinion as to what is and isn't salacious and ruled, the Supreme Court ruled that the Mr., his name will come back to me, but the fellow who was trying to register fucked for clothing was entitled to. That cleared the way for us to get shut the fuck up, registered for clothing, except then the trademark office, I think because they were... Their, their feathers were ruffled a little bit by having to allow the shut the fuck up trademark application. They decided that they were going to reject the trademark application because shut the fuck up is a common phrase that everybody uses and therefore not entitled to trademark protection. So we had to argue against that. And we, mount, we wrote a 10 or 20 page brief showing the trademark office that shut the fuck up may be a phrase that's used here and there in other contexts but it's not common for legal services because it's very unusual for lawyers to use the F word when advertising and promoting their services. We combined all of that evidence plus evidence of other common phrases that have been registered for trademarks like you're fired by the former president for his TV show and with evidence of the millions, literally millions of followers that Mark and Craig have on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, etc. And we assembled that. We put that in a package. We filed a legal brief. And the trademark office changed their mind and decided that Shut the Fuck Up was, in fact, entitled to trademark registration for legal services. And the trademark registration was granted. That's an amazing story, Dave. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Now, I have a couple more questions. My next question is, what are some steps you can share with the audience that, okay, once they identify this is a name that I want to trademark, right? But we know that the trademark process, even if they apply for it, is not just an overnight thing. It does take a couple of months. And especially now with the pandemic, things may be happening a little bit slower, right? So what are some things that you can share with the audience that they can start doing to make sure that, okay, they're showing the world that, okay, this is something that I'm trademarking or trademarked. Thank you, Dimple. Sure, that's great. And I just want to say something I I haven't said earlier that I've been wanting to say, which is I'm so happy that we're doing this together, Dimple, because it's so, I think it's so valuable and so much fun for me too. And I think very valuable for people in the audience to hear your practical real world business and marketing advice and combine it with legal advice so that it's not just one or the other. I mean, I do some other rooms with with other lawyers and sometimes we can get a little too legalistic, but I love doing this kind of room where there's both practical and legal combined. And I, I think it really adds value for people in the audience to hear your real world view and, and experience and my legal experience. So thank you for making this opportunity happen. Thank ah. you for being here. I mean, this is really fun. And, you know, like I'm going to start doing more rooms like this, meaning rooms where we are recording and repurposing for my podcast, because this is just one of my podcasts, Dave. I am building a brand empire. Right? I know you are. And now 
Thanks. And you can build a brand empire. We've got Clubhouse, you've got podcasting, we've got Instagram Reels, we have YouTube. It is like the possibilities are literally endless. And so I'm really excited about this because you guys don't even realize like how many hours I've spent on Clubhouse and how many months sharing my expertise and knowledge. And I wish that all of those rooms were recorded so that I could repurpose them. So now when I do rooms, I'm probably going to record all of them. And some of them are going to end up on my podcast. And some of them might end up in a membership where people can have access to to all of the recordings and show notes. And that's like just really exciting. And I think when it comes to a brand, you have to build it up from from scratch, right? But how do you build the brand up? You really, really have to have a strategy for everything. So you have to have a strategy for Clubhouse. Like what Dave and I are doing today is really special because we were inspired. We were in another room and we were listening to a podcaster and Dave messaged me on the back channel and I was like, yeah, let's do it today. So like, I didn't say let's wait and do it like next week. We took action on it immediately and we said, let's do it today. You know, so we did it today. We got on the phone, we talked about it and we came up with a game plan and here we are. And that's the thing about Mark, too, with Pop Brothers at Law. He's an action taker. I'm going to tell you guys a funny story, and then we'll go back to Dave. Like, when I had Mark on my podcast, I was sharing a tip with him about about Pinterest and how he can use Pinterest to leverage his Instagram reels and TikToks and everything else, all of his content, to get more, to get more views and to get more followers and, and all of that. So he was sitting there. And I can see him because he's on video. He gets on his computer and he literally starts Googling, you know, what I was telling him. And I'm like, Mark, you do realize we're in the middle of a podcast recording right now. Like, can you pay attention to me? <laughs> so it was so funny. But, but the cool thing is what I'm saying. The point is that I love about Mark is he's an action taker. And if you want to build a successful brand, it's all about taking action, too. And I'm going to hand it back to Dave because I want to hear from Dave. And I mean, I can answer this myself, but I want to hear it from him since he's the expert on this. And then I have a bunch of other questions for you, Dave. But if you okay. could take, take a minute and tell us once they decide, okay, I can potentially use this. And okay, they've even filed the paperwork. What should they start? That's a great question. And in fact, I'm going to take a step back for a second, Dimple, if you don't Absolutely. mind. Absolutely, go I for think it. There's a foundational thing that we want to address and all, by the way, what I'm about to describe in, I'm hoping, two minutes or less, is a part of an eight-point introductory plan that I've developed over the years that I share with people about how to do the things that we're talking about now. I've got like an eight-point plan. And if anybody would like that, because I'm going to go through it real quick so right now so we don't get... Uh, too lost in the weeds. If anybody would like a copy of the eight-point plan, you can DM me through Instagram and send me your email address and I'll send you the eight-point plan. Or you can email me at dave at bmbr.com. That's also in my clubhouse profile, dave at bmbr.com. And I'll be happy to send it to you, no charge, just to help educate people. So eight-point plan. Number one, learn and understand what intellectual property is and isn't. Namely, what is and what isn't copyrights, trademarks, patents, and trade secrets. Those are the four main tools. Those are the four main tools you have available to you to implement and deploy and monetize and help you and help grow in your business. 
So it's important to first understand what those four tools are. We've only talked about two of them tonight so far. We've talked about copyright for content and trademarks for brands, but there's four main tools. Number two, identify what intellectual property, what IP you already have and own. Make a list. What copyrights, trademarks, trade secrets, patents do you already have and already own, even if they're not registered? Number three, identify what intellectual property, what IP you will be creating down the road in the next year or two. Number four, identify whether there are any third-party conflicts with your IP. So that's where the trademark searching that we talked about earlier comes in. Number five, this is really important and most people overlook this. Identify what third-party IP you are or will be using that doesn't belong to you and make sure you have all necessary rights to do so. So if you've like picked some pictures off, taken some pictures off the internet and thrown them up on your website because you think if it's on the internet, it must be free for anybody to use. Or if you're using somebody's third-party software and you bought one license for one seat, but you're using it for 10 people in your company, or you've taken some CDs from your record collection and you've started to put music on, on your website, it's important to identify what third-party IP that you're using that doesn't belong to you and make sure you have the rights to do that. And if you don't have all the rights, go get them or limit your legal risk and stop using that IP that you don't have the rights to. Number six, decide which of the assets in categories number two and three, the ones you already have or own or the ones that you are going to be creating down the road, decide which of those assets in categories two and three are the most important to legally protect and start protecting them in sequence over the next 6, 12, 18 months. Prioritize them and start protecting them. Number seven, implement a watch service to look for potential infringers and decide who you need to send cease and desist letters to because you have to police your IP. You can't let other people use it because if you let other people use your IP, you could end up like the owners of aspirin, cellophane, thermos, escalator, and even heroin did which were all registered trademarks at one point in time, but because they didn't police them, they're now in the public domain. And number eight, decide what goods and services you're not going to use your IP for and think about developing a licensing program to let third parties use your IP and generate revenue for you. I could probably give you a 20-point program, but these are a good solid eight points. There's a ninth one. There's a ninth one, which is to, I should mention, which is to use a proper trademark notice. So if you have a brand like Mesmerizing Marketing, put a little TM after it, even if you haven't gotten a trademark registration yet. And on all your copyrightable content, put a proper copyright notice on there. See inside of a circle, 2021, your name. Those are my nine simple steps or my nine introductory steps for building a beginning uh, trademark, copyright, and intellectual property protection plan. And I hope that's not too much, Dimple, but I, I thought about those earlier when we were talking and I wanted to get them. Dave, I mean, thank you so much. I think that's perfect. So what I propose is we'll probably do a room in the future with Dave and another podcast episode. We'll actually go through the whole 20 points. So that will be really exciting. So thank you so much for sharing. Tell the audience what they can do because they should start using the TM all over the place. Can you talk a little bit more about Sure. So TM stands for trademark, and 
that symbol, which you often see, I, I imagine everybody in the audience has seen the TM symbol up and to the right of somebody's brand name in their lifetimes. That TM symbol is really free for anybody to use for your trademark, assuming it's your trademark. You don't need anybody's advanced permission. You don't even need to have a, a trademark application on file with the Patent and Trademark Office. You can start using it today and put the world on notice that you consider the name of your podcast to be your proprietary trademark. It's free and it's a, it's a good way to let people know that you consider it to be your proprietary brand. Having said that, don't use the R inside of the circle symbol until you've actually officially gotten your trademark registration issued by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. It's not enough to have a trademark application just on file with the Patent and Trademark Office. To use the R inside of the circle, you have to wait until the trademark is actually issued, the trademark registration, I should say, is actually issued by the Patent and Trademark Office, and that can take 12 to 18 months from when you actually file your trademark application. That's how backlogged they are in Washington, D.C. Do not listen to your brother-in-law who's a multimillionaire. Do not listen to your printer who tell you that it's okay to use the R inside of the circle. They're not trademark lawyers. They may be successful at what they do, but they don't understand the nuances and they often give bad advice. And so use the TM but not the R inside of the circle. Likewise, you can and should use, I hate to use the should word, you can and it's highly recommended that you use the copyright notice for your content, for your YouTube videos, for your manuals, for your website information, for any content you create. And there's three elements to a copyright notice. C the letter C like Charlie inside a circle or the word copyright, the year that you publish it, let's say 2021, this year, and your name or the name of your business. So if I was putting a copyright notice on something right now for something new I created this year, it would be C inside of a circle 2021, David Brownfman, and I would add the optional words all rights reserved. Now, those optional words, all rights reserved, are not mandatory. The three elements, see inside of the circle or the word copyright 2021 and the your name, those are mandated, those are required by copyright law in order to have a proper copyright notice. And if you don't put a copyright proper copyright notice on your work, you give somebody a free pass to be able to say, oh, I didn't know it was really their copyrighted work because they didn't put a pop proper copyright notice on there. So those are the rules of the road, the simple rules of the road for proper trademark notices and a proper copyright notice. I hope that helps, Dimple. Yeah, you know what, Dave? I'm really glad that you brought that up because that was going to be my next question about the whole copyright thing because I think that's one thing that people don't talk about enough and people kind of forget about. And I think it's just as important as the whole trademark thing and the whole trademark process. The whole copyright thing, I think that I'm going to have you 
like talk about it a little bit more and repeat maybe some of the things you said, because I, I want it to sink in. I want it to sink in. Well, let me let me share some information. And then I think it'll be perfect for you to chime in after that. So well, you know what Dave's talking about in terms of copyright and copywriting your content. Think about everything that you create as content creators. Like if you're creating online courses, maybe you have a group coaching program that you have content in, you have like training videos and you have all these things, you want to make sure that you're also protecting that. How many times have you heard of other people buying someone's course and then literally just stealing it? And if you're not copywriting your intellectual property, like then there's nothing that can be done after the fact, right? So when you think about if you're written any content, right? Even on a website, there's like always the copyright and the year and it's all rights reserved, right? And the name of the brand. And, and then it's like every year you need to update that on your website. If I look at a website and they didn't update that from like 2018, they should, because that's like saying, well, it's copyrighted, but only for 2018. So what I say is on your website, like put 2021 and beyond. That means basically forever as long as the site's there, or go in every year and update that. It's those little things that are really important. So Dave, talk a little bit more about the whole copyright. Yeah, a copyright, thanks Dimple. I mean, copyright is the lifeblood of content. As you described, course materials, written materials, books. I have clients who've built 30-year businesses out of copyrightable content one of my favorite clients who's now a friend after 33 years is a sales trainer extraordinaire. He trains salespeople, he trains average salespeople how to do what extraordinary salespeople do. And it's because he studied what's, what successful salespeople do, what the 20% of your sales staff who generate 80% of your sales do that the 80% of your sales staff doesn't do. He's figured he's been working on this for over 40 years and he's written course materials. He's got a four day boot camp. He's written several books. He's got website and all that content is protectable by copyright, regardless of his brand. In fact, he's created three different companies, two of which he sold and he's on his third company now. And you know what? So he sold the first two companies. Other people now, the, the buyers of those first two companies are using the trademarks that he created, but he's got new content in his third company and we've protected that. And that's what's generating revenue for him in 2021. And it's all about, it's simple. It's course materials and diagrams and, and illustrations. And it's incredibly valuable. And copyright is the best bargain around. The Copyright Office charges a mere $55 to register a piece of copyrightable content. You can register a 300-page course manual for $50. A, a trademark, a single trademark in one category of goods or services, on the other hand, is going to cost you $250 or $300 if you do it yourself, just in filing fees. And forget about patents. You're talking about thousands of dollars to, to register a patent. So copyright is the best bargain around. And you're absolutely right, Dimple. It's often overlooked. And for the people in our room today who are creating content, 
It's their lifeblood. That and their brand, brand very important, very, very, very important. You know, when you hear McDonald's, when you hear UPS, when you hear Mrs. Fields, you immediately think of a qual- you think of something that if you've had a good experience, you like. Uh, so brand, don't get me wrong, brands aren't, I'm not saying brands aren't important, but particularly for the people in this room today who are creating content, copyright is incredibly valuable. And guess what? It's not only the best bargain around at $55, but the Copyright Office website at copyright.gov has a, a wealth of free information. So at, you can go to the copyright.gov, C-O-P-Y-R-I-G-H-T.gov, they have a tremendous amount of free information. What is copyright? And learn about the basics. They have a tremendous amount of free information. And I encourage you to learn because knowledge is power. And then when you need to go to a lawyer, you'll be that much further down the road. You won't have to ask the lawyer, oh, what's the difference between a copyright and a trademark? You'll already know that you'll be able to hire, have a higher level of discussion with your intellectual property lawyer. You'll be able to get more bang for your buck. And with all this information that's available for free, why not? So I think those are a couple of things I could say about copyright. If, there's, if there are other particular thoughts or questions you have, uh, Dimple, about copyright and what it does and does, I, I, maybe I should spend a moment talking about, we, we've talked about what copyright does do, Maybe we should spend a moment talking about what copyright doesn't do because it's a subject of tremendous confusion. I think that would be useful to talk about that. But also, if you can answer, if you do end up copywriting some of your you know, materials and content, if someone, you, you notice that someone is you know, stealing your content and using it, what protection does that give you? Like, how do you handle that situation? So after you share what you wanted to share, then maybe you can dive into that as well. And then after that, if there's anything else that you think we didn't cover that we should, we'll do that quickly. And then we're going to end up opening up hand raising in a few minutes to take some questions from the audience. We're not giving any legal advice, but you may end up on my podcast. And that's great because then you can say that you actually have been on the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. All right. So Dave, back to you to answer those. Thanks, Dimple. And I, I do also want to briefly emphasize how much, how inspired I am and how stoked I am that I texted you, I think at two o'clock this afternoon, California time with this idea. And I thought I'm lawyerly and I take things in due course, da, da, da. I thought, oh, I'll mention this to Dimple today and maybe we'll do this in a week or two. Dimple jumped on it and here we are and I'm stoked and I'm really appreciative of the way you grabbed the bull by the horns, Dimple. And yeah. This is the first time actually doing something like this, and it's going so well. It's not like we even rehearsed it. I didn't even sit there, right, and say, Dave, I'm going to ask you these questions. Like, normally when I interview guests for my podcast, like, I prepare questions sometimes. But I was like, hey, we've done rooms together. I know all about what to ask. I know enough about trademarks and all this. I mean, I do legal marketing as well. But I mean, I just am so excited. So Dave, okay, so to the last um, few questions. All right. Uh, something I think uh, I alluded to a few minutes ago about before we get on to what do you do if uh, somebody inf- you know infringes your copyright or your trademark, I think it's important for me to spend a moment or two talking about one of the most difficult issues in copyright law when it comes to content protection that I've had to grapple with and we've had to grapple with for years now. 
and it's it's a brief discussion of what is and isn't protected by copyright law. And we lawyers refer to it as the idea-expression dichotomy. And by that we mean copyright law protects the expression of your idea, the way you get it down on paper, the way you draw it, the way you write the computer program, the way you write the screenplay, the way you take the photograph, the way you draw the illustration, but not the concept itself. Copyright law does not protect concepts. So there's a split between the idea and the expression of the idea. And let me give this example, which I think will illustrate the idea-expression dichotomy clearly. I, I will, for these purposes, presume that everybody in the room is familiar with the movie and the, the play, maybe they're familiar, they know there was a play before the movie, West Side Story, about rival gangs and lovers in New York in the 50s and early 60s. So, West Side Story. What's the idea behind West Side Story? Star-crossed teenage lovers from the wrong side of the tracks or opposite side of the tracks fall in love with each other, much to the dismay of friends and family leading to tragic consequences. That's the idea. That's the concept. West Side Story, right? The theme of West Side Story or the concept of West Side Story is star-crossed teenage lovers from opposite sides of the tracks fall in love with each other, much to the dismay of family and friends leading to tragic consequences. What Shakespearean play is that? Oh my gosh, I don't know. Romeo and Juliet. Oh. (laughs) It's Romeo and Juliet, but completely reset into the 20th century with all new words, all new characters, all new settings, and songs. You know, Shakespeare was many things, but he wasn't a songwriter. If Shakespeare had been alive at the time that West Side Story was first a movie, first a play, and then a movie, he would have not had a copyright claim against the makers of the, the creators of the play and the movie, because although the creators of the writers of the, the play and the movie borrowed or stole the concept, they did not steal the expression of the concept. West Side Story expresses the concept completely differently. That's the idea-expression dichotomy. And we get this question all the time. We have people come in all the time or ask me, hey, I had this idea for a play about a young man who's orphaned and he finds out that his father is an evildoer and he sets out to he sets out to right that wrong and he eventually encounters his father and kills his father i want to sue george lucas in star wars don't think so so the idea expression dichotomy especially for content creators especially for podcasters we're all dealing with in some ways similar territory look there are many other lawyers out there who do what I do and talk about copyright law and talk about trademark law and talk about intellectual property law, but they may not have the nine-point program that I have written the way that I have written it. That's my content. 
They may have their own way of expressing it. Good for them. I have no claim against them. They have no claim against me. All right, let's move. We can talk about the idea expression dichotomy. This is a hot topic. We could talk about this alone for two hours, Dimple. So I'm going to move on, and maybe this will be the source of some questions. But I'm going to move on and talk for a moment about what happens if somebody, you've registered your copyright for $55 with the copyright office, and now somebody's infringed, taken your, taken your course materials, copied it. Maybe they changed the name. They use a different title for the program, but they've copied your course materials lock, stock, and barrel. What do you do? Well, the good news is, in our hypothetical, you've registered the copyright with the Copyright Office in Washington, D.C., which, by the way, is a mandatory requirement for filing a copyright infringement lawsuit. You cannot file a copyright infringement lawsuit if you haven't registered the copyright with the U.S. Copyright Office in Washington, D.C. Merely having a copyright application pending is not good enough. You have to have the actual registration issued. We can talk about another time what to do if you're in a crisis and you need to file the lawsuit right away and you haven't registered your copyright yet. Here there are some ways to kind of get it done more quickly. It costs a little extra money. We can talk about that later or another time. But you've got to have the copyright registered. That's the key to the courthouse. Now, you find out that somebody's infringed your copyright, chances are what you're going to do is you're going to have your copyright lawyer send the other side a cease and desist letter and ask them politely or not politely, depending on who they are and how egregious it is. You're going to ask them politely or not so politely to stop doing it, and maybe you're going to ask them to provide an accounting to you of how much property, how much, how many course manuals or how many programs they've delivered and how much money they've made because you want to work out, you, you need to work out a settlement with them. They need to pay you a royalty. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then you're going to go to court. You're going to go to federal court, not state court. Copyright law is exclusively the jurisdiction of federal courts, not state courts. And you're going to file a copyright infringement lawsuit and you're going to take that case to trial. And guess what? If you win, the court has the authority to reimburse you, require the other side the bad person, to reimburse you for all the attorney's fees you've had to pay. That's a very powerful weapon. And they might, the court might even allow you to sue for up to $150,000 in damages, even if you can't prove exactly how much you lost. So having the copyright registered with the Copyright Office is extremely valuable. It's a real, 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 real good uh, negotiating tactic. I could talk about trademark infringement, but... I don't want to, you know, go on for too long. Yeah. Maybe we'll just, for right now, we'll talk about copyright and then maybe open it up for questions. Yeah, awesome. No, I think that was great. I mean, I think I'm glad that we talked a lot about, you know, copyrights as well, because that's the one that we don't hear about as much, but it's equally as important. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for listening to the Mesmerizing Marketing Podcast. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe to the show so you don't ever miss an episode and also share it with your friends. Dimple would be so grateful if you could take a minute to leave a review and visit the podcast website to check out all the latest episodes at www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. That's www.mesmerizingmarketingpodcast.com. And follow Dimple on Clubhouse. Her handle is Marketing Expert. And also join her Mesmerizing Marketing Club also on Clubhouse for live rooms on top marketing strategies for entrepreneurs and business owners who want to mesmerize their marketing. Oh,